man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, let me tell you something. The Ephrathites, this was like you, you were part of a distinct family. Your clan, if you were part of the Ephrathites, everything was good for you. You were part of a good clan. And they were also from Bethlehem. We know Jesus is from Bethlehem. The greatest king, uh, King David uh, of antiquity, is from Bethlehem. And so he's not only coming out of the best family, but he's also coming from the best uh, uh, city. And then he's also from Judah. So he's got the best region. This place is amazing. And this place called Bethlehem, where he's at, the name of this actual place was was called the House of Bread. So how is it that there's famine in the House of Bread? God, how is it that I follow you and I do what I'm supposed to do, yet things keep going wrong in my life? How is it, God, that I, I come to church and I serve you, but yet my house is messed up? How is it, God, that I give and the finances just seem to not add up? How is it, God, that I'm I'm pursuing you, I'm trying to honor you, I'm trying to do everything right, but yet I'm supposed to be in the space of a house of bread and I'm starving? God, we set everything up this morning. We worked hard, we did all the planning, and we're doing it for your glory And everything is going wrong. See, his name was Elimelech. Elimelech meant God is my king. And yet we're seeing him run to a foreign land. Forgetting what his name stands for. Rather than sitting and saying, God, I need you in this moment, he decides to take matters in his own hands. He betrays his own name. God is my king. Now his two sons' name, Malan and Chilion, it meant weakling and failure. You can tell it's not going to go very well for this family anyway, right? How are you going to name your child weakling and failure? Like, who, what mother gives birth and like, you know what? Fail. That's your name. He comes out and he starts crying, you're weak. That's going to be your name. So they have this family. you got God is my king and he's betraying his name. You've got two sons named uh, weakling and failure, and you've got Naomi, whose name is Sweetness, and how the heck is Sweetness in the middle of all of this bitterness and mess? And it gets even more bitter for her. And one more thing here. It says they went in the country of Moab and remained there. So in verse 1, it said they went to sojourn in Moab. Sojourn means, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to be here for a little moment. A sojourn is somebody who's traveling. It's not somebody who's going to sit in this moment. But now it's saying that they remain there, they've settled there, and they've become uh, comfortable there. And some of our best intentions are curbed by comfort. We say that we're going to do this thing one time. 
And it ends up being a perpetual habit. Well, I'm going to smoke this one time, and then you're addicted. I'm going to do this with him one time, and then you end up compromising all of your morality. I'm just going to go to Moab for a couple of months. God, I just got to fix this. I'm just going to go over here and fix it for a couple of months. Lord, I'm, I'm just going to do this shady deal just for a couple of months. God, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to allow him to touch me here just a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to go there. And the next thing you know, you're sitting in there, comfortable. You're okay with it. Moab becomes home. Verse number three, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So now he goes to find uh, life, and he finds death. He goes to fix it, and he leaves his wife broken. She's by herself now. She's away from all family. She's away from everything that she knows, everything good, and she has to raise her kids in this pagan, messed up land. She's by herself. It's, it's just her and her two boys. And then verse 4 says, these took uh, her two sons. She was left with her two sons. End of verse 3. These took Moabot wives, and name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived up there about 10 years. So not only have I lost my husband in this land that is not my home, it was good for a moment. I had the car. I had the nice house. I had the friends. I went to the salon every single day. I, I went shopping. I, I, I hung out with my girls and my, my husband, man, he, he looked good every single day. And he looked real well. And my kids were well fed and they were taken care of. And now she's left alone. The man of the house is dead and she has to re- raise these kids. And these kids now start liking the little flirtatious Moabite girls. And you know what's crazy? This place, Moab, the reason the Moabites came about was out of an incestual relationship between a guy named Lot and his daughter. And this is the place where he finds himself and leaves his family. And now she's got to fend for herself with these, these immoral, loose women that her sons are now loving all of this debauchery that their sons are getting involved in, and then they end up getting married to these women. She's like, God, can it get any worse, really? Everything seems to be falling apart. They lived there 10 years. You know, mothers are a good judge of character. So, um, my mom, every time I, uh, I had a girl that I was really interested in, I wanted to uh, really be with her, I would bring her home so that she could meet mom. Anybody done that? Anybody brought somebody home to meet mom and just like, well, what's mom going to say? You know, I, my parents are African. 
And every time uh, there was a girl that my parents didn't like or my mother did not approve of, she would say, she would look at me. Oh, this is all she would say. As soon as she leaves, she would say, Sonny, no, no, not that one. Please, 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 son. That's all she would say. And I can imagine Naomi's in this moment, these girls that she's been saying, Sonny, please. Now, that's your daughter-in-law, Naomi. And these uh, families back in the day, in this agrarian culture, they all lived together. So now she has to see these girls every single day. Verse number five. So they lived there 10 years and both Malin and Chilean died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So they leave the house of bread because things weren't working out over there and they had to fix it. And they went over to Moab thinking that they were get away from famine. A decision that was made, I'd imagine, over months of laboring and going back and forth. We shouldn't go. We should go. We shouldn't go. We should go. I should do this. I shouldn't do this. I want to do this. It looks good, but I don't want to do it. It's not right. They walk into that space thinking that we're going to find sustenance in a time of famine and a mother is left in a spiritual hungry position, in a physically hungry position, in an emotionally hungry position. She went to be filled, and she found nothing more than famine. And for some of us here, this can be a familiar story. There's things in your life that are just not adding up. You're trying to do everything right that you know of. And now you found yourself or you thought you were trying to do something right. You gave it your best intentions. You didn't lean on the fact that God is my king. You went and you created the situation on your own. And now... Your finances are just not adding up. Your your relationship is in turmoil. Your marriage is on the rocks. You're feeling drained. You're wondering, will anything good come out of this? What am I to do? feel broken, you feel helpless, you don't know how it's all going to come together. This is what I believe God wants to tell us this morning. This is what God told me this morning. Point number one, God is at work in the middle of your mess. God is at work in the middle of your mess. 
See, they had no clue that these uh, famines that were there were orchestrated specifically by God. God had created a famine to go over this land. And this time of the judges, when, when things would go wrong and, and, and the people went spiritually crazy, God would raise up a judge to come and bring people back into order in this time of the judges. Whenever the Bible talks about it was a time of the judges, it was a time where people were just spiritually, morally, ethically depraved. There was a social messed upness. There was a, just the, 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 the climate was just incredibly raw and politically the place was just falling apart. Sound familiar? And rather than than than, than look for God at work, some people decided to run like eliminate. Some people just continued in the mess, continued to lament. But the reality is God was at work in the middle of that mess. He caused the famine to come so that the people would turn around and look at him and would honor him. And here goes, here goes the reality. God was ordering their steps. God was ordering his steps in the life of Naomi to accomplish his sovereign and perfect purposes in the midst of imperfect circumstances. I'll read that again. God was ordering the steps in Naomi's life to accomplish his sovereign and perfect purposes in the midst of imperfect circumstances. See, they didn't need another judge to show up and try to tell them how to live their life. A judge could never truly complete and redeem and bring these people back into order. Because I'll tell you what it says. When we read the last book of Judges, the book right before this, the last verse says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what's right in his own eyes. They were under the condemnation of God because God had made a covenant. He had made a deal with these specific people, these Israelites, saying, hey, if you follow me, everything is going to go well. If you dishonor me, it's all going to hit the fan. And they're in a place of dishonor, and God orchestrates this mess. So that he could have his sovereign will take place. They didn't need a judge. They needed a savior who would totally fix it. Who would bring them back into a place of unity and love and peace with God. And for you in your life right now, I want to tell you the same thing. God is at work in the midst of whatever mess you're dealing with. It may be a big mess. It may be a little mess. It may be a personal mess. It may be a public mess. Whatever it is, God is at work, just like I believed he was at work this morning. Point number two, the celebration at the end is always greater than the center of the struggle. The celebration at the end is always greater than the center of the struggle. And, you know, when you're in the middle of things, when things are really rough, you feel like, I can't get out. I'm suffocating. Something's got to give. I've got to fix this. God, where are you? 
But how many of us have ever run a marathon or ever had to do something enduring? Uh, uh, Rhonda, you ran, the, was it the Tough Mudder or something like that that you did? Warrior Dash. In the middle of it, it was pretty grueling. But the celebration at the end, when you finally got the victory, you realize that it was all worth it. And here goes the deal, guys. Faith is not proved when you win. Faith is not proved at the beginning of the struggle or at the end of the struggle. Faith is proved in the middle of the mess. Celebration will come. Joy will come in the morning. Trouble won't last always. The celebration at the end is always greater than the center of the struggle. And here goes the reality of it. I don't want to tell you, and I don't want to sing you a story, and I don't want to be the type of preacher who says everything is going to go all right. That everything is going to be fixed. You may have to endure, Naomi endured tragic loss. But that's why as believers, we don't live with the earth in view. We live with the end in view. Our celebration is not to win here on this earth. Our celebration is to win when we see Jesus Christ coming and we can meet him in clouds of glory. When he can actually come and redeem us and take us home and we can live with him forever and get to know this God who gave himself for us in the middle of our mess. The celebration is at the end is always greater than the center of the struggle. And the final point is, Jesus is at the end of every person's story. Jesus is at the end of every person's story. Here's the cool thing. If you've got your Bible, go with me to the end of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 18. It says here, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered, fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, the greatest king of Israel. And Jesus Christ is called the son of David. He came from the line of David. So in this story, as we get into the rest of this series, we find out that Naomi was positioned particularly to be able to go get Ruth. God was ordering the steps to go to Moab because there was a little Moabite girl who was going to give her heart to the Lord, come back, marry a guy named Boaz, and Boaz would start the trajectory that would eventually lead to the Savior of the world. Jesus is always at the end of every person's story. So let me ask you this, in the middle of your mess, who is being saved because 
of your trying? Who's being saved because of your mess? Because uh, Ruth was raised in this pagan culture that didn't know God, that didn't want God. But for some reason, when she married uh, uh, the, the, the son to, to Naomi, she saw something in Naomi that she wanted. She saw something in Naomi's faith. And the reality is this. There were two daughters. One decided to go back to Moab. Ruth stayed with Naomi. Naomi trusted the process and ended up going back to Bethlehem. And from there on, a trajectory was made that resulted in not a judge being raised up, but the king of the world being born in, through this family. Her famine produced a harvest that ended up providing life to the entire world and everybody who would give their lives to Jesus Christ. So let me tell you something. As we get to the end of this message, You know Jesus is at the end of all of our stories, of everything. And maybe there's somebody here who uh, you understand that eventually you're going to have to meet Jesus. Are you going to meet Jesus uh, in a way that's going to say, my king, my God is king, he's here? Or are you going to meet Jesus in judgment? and end up in a famine that lasts an entire eternity. And there's an opportunity for you right here to make that choice. You can either remain in Moab, turning your back on the Savior, on the place of bread, the place of harvest, or you can turn your face back to Jesus Christ. God is giving you this opportunity this morning. Say, don't let the messy middle scare you off. He's at work in the middle of that mess. He's at work in the middle of your marriage. He's at work in the middle of your finances. And the celebration that's going to come at the end, whether in this life or the life to come, is going to be so much greater than the center of your struggle. And you will get the opportunity to meet Jesus because he's at the end of every single one of our stories. here's your question, my question to you. What's your Moab? What's that thing that you keep running to for self-preservation or, or a self-defense, that, that one thing, that, 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 that pacifier, when things go wrong, 
you keep running to that is actually destroying you. Are you, are you going to remain there? In that place of destruction? Or are you going to return to the place of harvest with Jesus Christ? Here's my encouragement to you, though. This is, this is the greatest encouragement all of us can hear this morning. All of our broken intentions, all of our best intentions that we put forward, the failure of our best intentions are overcome by God's sovereign initiative. If you trust the process, you will see that God is at work. And he is for you. And he wants to redeem you. God, thank you so much for giving us this word this morning. Thank you so much for giving us this object lesson. Thank you so much for giving me this object lesson. Knowing that at the end of the day, you're at work in the middle of all of our mess. And God, today we just, we, we celebrate you. We celebrate the fact that you are still in control. And that when we get to the end of all of this mess, there's going to mess. There's going to be a celebration at the end. But that's only if we choose to return to you, God. I pray that every area of our life, Lord, that we are holding back from you, that we'll give back. We'll, 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 we'll send it on to you and lay it at your feet and saying, Lord, take me. Fix this. I want to be made whole in you through the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ on my behalf. So God, I pray that you may just give us encouragement. Give us encouragement this morning that the story is not over yet. Just like the story is not over in this book of Ruth. This is just the beginning, God. Allow us to know that the story of our life is still in process. And if we trust the process, you will be the lifter of our heads. You will be the one who will be victorious. We ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ.